All right, folks, welcome to the show. I'm Mike. This is the Crack House Podcast, episode two. Thanks for joining me. Uh, we just had Labor Day weekend pass here in New York City, and we had 28 people shot over Labor Day weekend. Uh, one of them, six-year-old kid, shot in the leg, femur shattered. Uh, in a five-day span, we had about 42 people shot, and... Uh, a lot of this stems, well, not all of it, but a chunk of it stems from every year Labor Day is notorious in New York City, the five boroughs, especially Brooklyn, where it all originates. It's the West Indian Day Parade. West Indian Day Parade's been going on for years in Brooklyn. It usually starts, it starts the night before the Juve party. The Juve means uh, break of dawn or to party till dawn. They'll start Sunday party all night Sunday and then go into the par uh, the parade itself which takes place on Monday the party itself takes place a lot of neighborhoods Crown Heights area a lot of one family two family homes and in recent years it's just been taken over by young kids gangs a lot of beefs get settled that night and the other night six people got shot over in Brooklyn one of them, the six-year-old kid with the mother, three o'clock in the morning. What a six-year-old kid is doing on a three o'clock in the morning? I'm not. I'm not even going to get into that. But you know, hey, I don't know. Mom gets a phone call. Little twerk sesh going on outside. She's not going to leave the kid alone. Eh, she took the kid with her. It is what it is, folks. But in all of this, the mayor, Big Bill, he characterized. A peaceful weekend. That's what he said happened. He goes, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. It was a peaceful weekend. 28 people got shot is now considered a peaceful weekend in New York City. Oh, God. And then we also had Jamani Williams, who's the public advocate for uh, New York City. He came out. He called the weekend a success. And Eric Adams, who's the Brooklyn Borough president, he wanted to praise the shots we didn't hear. Which I don't know what that is. that jazz music now? We listen for the notes not being played. I don't know what that means. And the, here's, here's the thing. Jumani Williams and Eric Adams, those two guys are going to probably battle it out to be the next mayor of the city of New York. So are things going to change? Uh, I really, I don't think so. I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to get much better if these two guys decide to uh, put the hat in the ring. I, uh, ooh, that was a good cup of coffee. Bill de Blasio, it was also just another article in the paper today talking about how CEOs are telling them, you got to put a fucking lid on what's going on. People are leaving and businesses are leaving, dude. You know, that's not good. That's not good for the city. And it's not good for you or anyone else. So, I mean... I mean, where are we going with this, folks? At this point, we might as well change the I love New York symbol to something else. Get a new slogan, get something. You know, New York, come for the COVID, stay for the murder. New York, at least we're not Chicago. New York, where everyone's playing that fun new game. Hey, was that fireworks? New York, it's complicated. This is how weird it's becoming right now. It seems like the Reverend Al, 
people on the right, cops, are all coming together about one thing, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. So the Reverend Al was on TV the other day. He was getting questioned about police brutality and everything going on. And he actually had an interesting uh, take on everything. He said, you can't completely defund the police. He goes, it just can't be done. He goes, do we need a dialogue? Do we need to, uh, new training, new parameters? Okay, I get that. But he actually went after the limousine liberals or the latte liberals, as he called them. And for people who don't know what that is, these are the people that tell you, you know, there shouldn't be any guns in the world, but yet they have nine people with guns surrounding them at all times. These are the same people. Everyone should be free. No one should be in, there no walls, no cages. They all live in 10 foot high gated communities. So he kind of gave them a little bit of their, uh, their comeuppance a little on the show. It sounded pretty good. Uh, I think you could check it out. It's on YouTube, I think. Uh, for the Reverend Al and cops to agree on something, it's kind of like Israel and Palestine hugging it out right now. Um, I hope this continues. You know, Reverend Al has been a fixture in the city for 30 something years. Good, bad or indifferent, whatever you feel about the guy. So hopefully this puts us all on a right path and uh, maybe we can actually make some change. Good, better, whatever. All right. Let's start getting off the serious shit for a while. Let's get into some real shit right now. Um, I was looking on Barstool and I saw this fucking whacked out uh, podcast thing for some girl. I think it's called the Jump Up Show or something like that. And uh, Chief's Keith's baby's mama. Yeah, I said Chief Keith's baby's mama was on some show. And she was talking about Odell Beckham Jr. Odell Beckham Jr., one of the best receivers in the NFL. He's playing for the Cleveland Browns right now. Mm. Oh. This woman said Odell Beckham flew her out somewhere to meet her. They went out to dinner. They did what, you know, I think went out to dinner, had a date, whatever. Went back to the hotel, the house, whatever. And, uh. Odell Beckham Jr. is a freaky deaky dude. If it's true, this is all alleged. This is what this girl was saying. You could go on Barstool and look it up. Uh, Odell likes it when a woman uh, drops a number two on him. Yeah. Yeah. Number two. For a number one wide receiver, number two, that's kind of weird. Um, Odell, I think, has already come out. And stated uh, the story is bullshit. Um, the girl on the show is saying, no, no, it's a, it's all true. And it really happened. Um, if it is true, it's a real shitty thing that it came out this way. Uh, I hope Odell's career doesn't uh, go down the toilet for this. And uh, if it is bullshit, I hope he uh, sues the shit out of her. My only question I really have about this is what did the girl eat for dinner? Alright, so last week I was talking about this movie 
the wild and wonderful whites of West Virginia. And I just want to go over it. If you saw it, you saw it. If not, I'm not going to give too much of the movie away. Like I won't say what happens at the end or I'll try and keep it a uh, brief as possible. So the movie is projected jackass, the Dick house guys, Johnny Knoxville, that whole crew. And the whole thing takes place in a town called Boone County, West Virginia. And it follows around the white family. Now, the movie, it opens up with people in the town talking about the whites. And most of them are lawyers, some councilmen. There's, there's one woman who's like a, a town pastor. They ask her flat out, they're like, what do you think about the family? She goes, uh, no comment. And they just move right along. Uh, the one cop they interview, and he, he kind of like just shakes his head at them. Like, everyone basically says the same thing about the white family, all these lawyers and everything. They're like hustlers, drug dealers. The one guy put it the best. He goes, no one works and everyone has money. So you tell me what they're doing. The sister Mamie White, she's kind of like the head honcho. She runs the show. She starts describing all her family members. Like she starts talking about her dad, the guy D-Ray White, who was named King of the Gypsy Dancers or King of the Mountain Dancers. And it kind of seems like his career was really about to take off. And just as it was about to take off, he got murdered. He gets killed. So the family kind of scrambles and figures like, listen, we can make money off this uh, mountain dancing, what the father does. So they get a son. They have a son. He's got a son named Mark. They give the dancing shoes to Mark. Mark gets killed over a pit bull. All right, I could see that. He got killed over a pit bull. He's gone. They give it to his son, Dorsey. He's next. He kills himself. He's gone. Then they give it to another kid, Pawnee. He's gonna. He's about to get collared for like prescription fraud. He fucking hightails it out of town. So finally, they're down to the son, Jesco. He takes over this mountain dancing. And from what I've seen and what I looked online, this guy actually makes a living doing this. He's still, he's in his, I think, early 70s, and he's still dancing. He does like a lot of like well, shows at bars. He's like, uh, he's like the way they pay like a Kardashian, like $50,000 to hang out in a club. He, they do the same thing in like West Virginia where they pay him to come and hang out. So the guy D-Ray, the original guy who's dead, the king of the mountain dancers, his wife is still alive. And she kind of like raised the kids in the neighborhood, it seemed like. The kids in town. They say she she helped out like over 30 families if people didn't have money. So they were they seemed like they were good-hearted people. But then when you she seemed all right, the husband seemed all right. Once the husband died, these kids went fucking bananas. So the guy, Jesco, who took over, that guy's on, like, psych meds, everything else. He's, he's committed armed robberies. The, the whole family, everyone has just really done a lot of bad shit. Uh, Jesco also, during the, uh, the interview process in, in the movie, you watch him getting interviewed, the guy huffed gasoline for years and just rotted out. And when you see this guy talk in the in the movie he's got like that thousand yard stare in his face like he he will fucking kill you he'll kill you for a nickel that's what he seems like so then they just start going through like other family members so there's the chick kirk white she's 
the grand, she's one of the granddaughters and she's probably in like her mid to late twenties. She's uh, the girl, Bo, who is Jesco's sister. She's uh, the niece of Jesco. Uh, she comes right out and says, uh, my father's in jail for a double murder. She's pregnant with a guy's kid who slept with a cousin. You find that out later. And that same guy, she also, you know, stabbed and had the grandmother basically, uh, what did she do? Oh, she, she had, she stabbed her baby's daddy and then went to the grandmother's house and had the grandmother hide the evidence. So they're, they're a good family. Then you have the, uh. The youngest one of the, the, the first generation of kids there, Sue Bob. She's the ex-stripper. Uh, she had a kid, Brandon, he's in jail because he shot Mamie. Mamie's boyfriend, he shot him in the face with a rifle and blew off half his face. But they're, they're cool now. But Brandon's in jail. Brandon, uh, you find out later, he gets interviewed. He's high as a kite. His father died. He gets high as a kite, freaks out. Uh, her, him and Mamie's boyfriend exchange words. He gets a rifle, blows his head off. Uh, the guy survives miraculously. I mean, he's shot in the face with a rifle. He's describing how half his face fell off. Brandon is doing all his interviews in the movie, in jail. He's waiting. He's awaiting sentencing. And I'll say this about Brandon. I don't think he knows how to read people. And the reason I say that is because during the interview, he thinks he's going to be okay. He doesn't think he's going to get a lot of time. And by the, the end of the movie, you find out he gets sentenced to 25 years for shooting a guy in the face. So that's Brandon. Uh, you have Bo. She's another daughter. She has a face tattoo. She's about, she looks like she's close to about 50 with a face tattoo. And... When you first meet her, she gives you her entire drug resume, uh, crack, coke, pills, the whole bit, and it's all on her face when you see it. Trust me, when you watch the movie, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So the movie kind of ends like 20 minutes in there, and it fast forwards to six months later. The girl, Kirk, that we were talking about earlier that stabbed, the guy she stabbed, she has. She wound up while she she was three months pregnant while she was given the first interview. She has the kid, and being the good mother she is, while they're in the hospital, she starts blowing rails of oxy right in the hospital room. That's nice. Uh, when she's getting ready to leave the hospital, they actually they found the drugs in the baby's system. They did a blood test, so she can't go home with the kid. That turns into uh, Dramaville. And uh, that goes on in the movie for about 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, the, the one Sue Bob, whose son is doing 25 years in jail, she picked Kirk up from the hospital. Well, she found out, well, oh, when they take the baby away from Kirk, she takes her to, you know, instead of going right home to figure things out, they go to Taco Bell. Which is nice. That's a that's a funny scene. The Taco Bell scene, I think, is very funny. Uh, then we'll go back to Mamie. Mamie has a daughter called Mousy, and 
she goes to pick up Mousy from prison. I mean, this family is, they're like, it really is. It's like the fucking Dukes of Hazard on meth. It is fucking amazing. Everyone is a drug dealer. You get to see them all. They all deal drugs or have some type of like criminal element to them. Except the guy Pony that went out to Minnesota. They interview him. He, it seems like he's got like a straight, legit job. But uh, Mamie goes to pick up Mousy from prison. Mousy is another train wreck. She did she did prison time. Not like a night in jail. She did prison time for like fraud. And she's all happy to be out because she's not on probation. Or uh, she didn't get parole or anything like that. She didn't get any parole. She's out of jail. So she's free to have fun and party. And when we meet up with her her big deal is to go find her husband or ex-husband or whatever the fuck she's doing with this guy charles white and then that turns into a whole fucking adventure so i mean if you're in the mood to see a real weird movie i would check this out i i'm not going to give too much more of it away i don't want to get too much into it it's just a real wacky crazy movie um uh, a little update uh, the, the one Kirk who had the kid taken away and everything, she's supposedly been clean since the movie was made. She winds up going into rehab. Um, the one Sue, Sue Bob, she got collared a whole bunch of times. The one Mamie's been collared a whole bunch of times. Jesco does like his bar tours. It's, I, I think one of the kids has like a YouTube channel where you could still see what they're up to. I mean, it, it's really wacky shit. They all live. In like these dilapidated trailers all over West Virginia. Um, and like the one guy said, he goes, no one works. Everyone has money. So you figure it out. You, you see how some of them make their money uh, hustling with the, uh, the big. Uh, this is 2009 when it was made. So it's really like when opioids really took over. And they're all high in this. Like everyone's high on pills. They're all snorting oxys. It's really fucked up. Uh, you really don't see that living up here in New York. You don't see that kind of, you know, rural lifestyle. What goes on down there? Uh, it's a really great movie. Check it out. And uh, next week, I think I'm going to have another documentary that I just saw on Netflix. Uh, it's called After Flash. It's about Sam Jones, a guy that played uh, Flash Gordon in the 1980 movie. And I think it gets into him and he had some issues in his life. And uh, we'll get into that. All right, folks, just uh, one more quick thing. I think I said Netflix for the Sam Jones thing. It's actually on Amazon. So check that out. It's called After Flash. We'll talk about it next week. Uh, any questions, any comments towards me, uh, you can uh, find me at crackhousepodcast at gmail.com on Instagram at the Crack House Podcast and on Twitter at Michael Sullivan at Crack House Pod. Uh, just a couple more thank yous out there. First to uh, Time on the Job. They uh, promoted the podcast. I really appreciate it. Check them out. If you're not following them, follow them. They're really good. They really got uh, their finger on the pulse of what's going on in the city and the job. Uh, also, my buddy Jack at I Can Paint. On Instagram, I can paint. I underscore can underscore paint. This guy does phenomenal work. He does portrait work. 
That is unbelievable. You can go on his site, go on Instagram, check out I Can Paint. See the work this guy does. He's unreal. I've seen it up close. Really, really good stuff. So check him out. Um, also, uh, just one quick thing. I'm recording this the day before 9-11. Um, remember those that passed away that day. Remember those that made the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, we talk about that all the time. The people who made the ultimate sacrifice. I also like to remember, remember the guy or woman, the man or woman that just went to work that day, that saw their family for the last time. You know, cops, firemen, EMS. A lot of times, you know, you know the danger going in. You know the danger just getting in your car, going to work. These people would just go into their jobs. They were going to maybe push paper from one pile to another, make some phone calls, do some deals. And unfortunately, their lives ended in a really sad and a really violent way. And um, we need to come together the way we came together on September 12th, where it just seemed like no matter what, we were going out of our way for each other as a country. And we stuck together no matter what. No one cared who the president was. No one cared who the mayor was. No, we stuck together. And that's what we need to do now. Stick together. Take care of each other, and hopefully I'll see you next week. I'm going to be dropping these probably every Sunday night around between 9 and 10 o'clock. I'll let you know on social media. And other than that, enjoy your week and protect your neck.